Hey guys, it's Woj. Before we get to today's pod, I want to mention how in this time of social distancing, without any games to watch, it's not just a Woj pod that's still delivering content for you. ESPN Podcast is adapting to what's becoming a new normal and posting new content every single day. Just this week, there have been new episodes of ESPN Daily, Baseball Tonight, The Low Post, The Hoop Collective. The Mina Kimes Show, Right Time with Vamani Jones, and the SVP Pod, and also Jeff Passan, our baseball insider, is delivering a baseball podcast on the ESPN Daily feed. So you can get that there, and you can listen to all of these podcasts and more wherever you get your podcasts. So stay with us at ESPN and ESPN Podcasts. Welcome into Andy Slavitt, who is formerly the Medicare, Medicaid, and Affordable Care Act head for the Obama administration, and currently in a couple different roles, is working to bring affordable health care to Americans. But most importantly for our purposes right now, his website, www.stayhomesaveslives.us is really a template for uh, what we need to be doing um, and and what hopefully more of us are doing in this country right now. And on top of all that, Andy, right, born a Chicago Bulls fan and now transplanted to the Minnesota Timberwolves. I know you live in Minnesota. Uh, as I just said to your son, Zach, before we came on, that that's a lot of ping pong balls this year. I, I guess both your teams, a lot of ping pong balls and, and probably not a great draft. Yeah, it's it's a pretty sad year. Um, I do have a suggestion since I think I will be your uh, least exciting podcast guest that anyone comes across your podcast ever. Do you want to just label this Michael Jordan and then people will click and then we can <laughs> done. It's done. Uh, Andy, t- tell us from where we were a week ago Wednesday when Rudy Gobert test- tested positive for the coronavirus. Adam Silver cancels the NBA season. From then until us taping this on Friday morning, where is this country from from that moment um, in our ability to combat the coronavirus, to to, uh, mitigate its impact? Well, I'd like to talk a little bit about where we've gone from there to today, and then maybe a little bit either now or further in this podcast about where we might go from today. Uh, on because I think it's I think it's really important that we start to think about this. It's a very difficult thing to grasp, right? Two weeks ago, uh, we were thinking about um, who's going to get the eighth seed in the West, and we were off of the All Star Game, and uh, we had this virus. It seemed you know half a world away, and uh, a country that was um, we were hearing messages at least which said that this was not a big deal. And of course, if you're um, you know, a younger person or you've had the flu before, uh, this is a very hard thing to, to imagine. So I'd like to try to give a, a couple of facts that I think will be helpful. Uh, I've been working closely with a lot of the scientists and the, and the people in, uh, all over this. Um, you know, the, the, the thing that happened with, uh, with Rudy, uh, probably when we look back on it may, may end up saving a lot of lives because, um, we ended up, 
um, it ended up really, I think, shocking the consciousness of, of all of us. But the, the facts that we're dealing with are we have a, a every day we turn on the TV, we, we seem to see larger and larger, extraordinary numbers of more people who are getting coronavirus and who are dying. And the reason is, um, and my, my son Zach is a, was a just finished calculus. He, it's what he would call exponential math, which basically means that every three days, the death count and the, all, all the counts are expected to double. And that is something that all of the stat whizzes and followers of your podcast and of you, um, get. I mean, there's probably like a, uh, there's probably a whole analytical, uh, structure here for, for all of this. It's sadly not the kind of numbers we want to be hearing, but that means that, um, the reason this is happening is a couple fold. One is this is a novel virus. And what that means basically is none of us have immunity to it. So you could be LeBron James and a Ironman athlete. Doesn't matter. Uh, none of us have immunity to it. That's a strange thing for us. That hasn't happened here in a long, long time. Secondly, it's one of the most highly contagious viruses you can imagine. We're used to something like the flu where you kind of want to stay away from someone with the flu. This is different. This is different. Uh, 80% of the people who get coronavirus get it from someone who didn't know they had it. And that's because we're asymptomatic for quite a while. Um, for most of us, it's mild. Uh, for many of us, it's lethal. But for most of us, it's mild. And then um, it lingers in the air. It's called an aerosol virus. So that means you could literally walk into a room that somebody else who was infected and didn't know it just walked out of. And the average person spreads it then to over two people per person. And so you could see if we kept up the normal rate of social interaction, um, we would have some pretty astounding numbers. And I'm, I'm happy to go over what some of those numbers look like, but I don't want to, I don't want to start with that. I don't want to freak people out. I would just say that the, the implications of that are two things. One is, uh, if you have any uh, buddy in your life who's got an impressed immune system, who's older, who's got diabetes or high blood pressure, you've got to isolate them. You've got to protect them. And if you're ever going to go near them, then that means you've got to socially isolate yourself. And so fundamentally, that means a, a bunch of young, healthy people who are want to go live our lives are in this odd situation where we're being told we can't even go to a bar or restaurant. I think part of it, too, is... And I think the way we've got to look at it is, hey, this is your civic duty, right? This is your civic duty. We don't hear that in this country anymore. We certainly don't hear it at the top ever. But it, it feels like going back even when experts were warning us, even when the government wasn't, um, that that it's it's essentially your civic duty to just stay home and uh, try to flatten the curve of this. I think that's right. I, I look, I think the thing that we all rarely, rarely, rarely have a chance to do is have such an enormous impact with our own actions. And we can look at what the government's doing and we need them to do a lot. We can look at what uh, our local government's doing and we should, and we need them to do a lot. But uh, most of this falls on us, as you said. Um, and I haven't been alive at a time in this country where that's been the case. Um, you know, I wasn't alive during uh, World War II and the Depression, but I'd like to think at that point in time, if I was asked um, to forego certain foods and um, get in, change my production lines and do a bunch of things to help this country beat the Nazis, that I would have taken on any sacrifice. Well, now I'm just being asked to stay home with Zach and his brother Caleb and my wife Lana. 
So, you know, it's, it's more of a sacrifice for them probably than for me. But, but the truth is, I, I don't mean to make light of it. Um, there, there's obviously sacrifice involved. We're, we're all going to feel uh, economically shaky. We're all going to feel anxious. We're all going to feel disconnected. We're all going to wonder why we're doing things. But you're exactly right, Woj. This is, this is something that we're being called on to do because it will save the frontline healthcare workers from getting crushed with people that they just can't take care of. We're going to see scenes very soon in major cities around the country. We're going to see scenes where hospitals are turning people away. And I just want to let that sink in. We are very close to seeing scenes where very sick people are not being able to be seen because the frontline workers in hospitals, doctors and nurses are getting a getting sick and B, um, you know, we only have about, uh, you know, we may be outstripped if this thing gets really bad all at once. We may have eight times as much need for hospital beds and ventilators, which are what help you breathe, than we have capacity. That's a serious, serious thing. People are going on TV urging people to understand this. Um, and when people see it, um, it's going to be the kind of scene you may be used to seeing once in a decade in another country. It's not the kind of scene we've ever seen in our country. Yeah, listen, we have seen the reporting uh, on hospitals in, in uh, places, in cities, in smaller towns where they are already at a breaking point, and yet we haven't seen nearly uh, a crest of of the coronavirus. We haven't seen, we are at um, the apex of it, probably not even close by everything that, that I've gathered, and obviously you, you know much better, and so you know, my, my wife's uh, a nurse and, and she's been texting with some friends of hers from nursing school who work in northern Jersey. And they are talking about being uh, overwhelmed already. And, it, and it's all the things you are reading, hearing, also in terms of uh, supplies and masks and ventilators. And they know that, and, and this is what I think also people, uh, Andy, right? It's not just the people with who might test positive for the coronavirus and have symptoms. And as they're saying that they're, they're admitting patients who are just crashing. It's you have a heart attack at home and you call an ambulance and you have something that's not related to coronavirus. Well, that's the ripple effect of this, right? Of we can't care for them. And it's not just how many people um, contract the virus. It's how many people need any kind of medical care at all that are going to face a, a grim reality. That's 100% correct. Um, you know, we are calling up, we are calling up retired nurses and doctors. We are trying to early graduate nurses and doctors across the country. We're trying to stand up telemedicine capabilities. I will tell you that if the numbers grow at the way that, and we can talk about some of the numbers because I think it rings at home, yeah. but if they grow at the rate that we think they're going to grow, all of that will be a bit of a drop in the bucket. Um, so the only thing, the only thing that reduces the flow right now where we sit today, the only thing that can prevent that, and God bless your wife uh, and all of her colleagues. And if, if you're like, the one thing you all of it can do, just anybody you know in the frontline healthcare medical community, thank them, buck them up, support them. They are soldiers uh, in this, and they are soldiers that, as you said, are going to be fighting without any armor uh, because of poor planning. We are where we are. We, we can't go back, and, and we wish we could. But from where we are today, um, we are going to be in this situation where we are putting 
more pressure on this uh, than, than than it can need. And look, some of this is can be planned for. Some some of it's hard to plan for. You know, if um, I was talking with the mayor's office in New York uh, a week ago, and I saw the first saw the numbers they shared with me. There's 300. Uh, there's about 3,000 ICU beds in New York. Most of them are filled, um, but they're predicting that they could need between 25 and 40,000 ICU beds at once if the infection spreads at the level that it's spreading. And so the only way that they don't get 10 times the volume in, it, in an ICU bed is where you're in a bed that helps you breathe. The only time you, you're not going to, that's not going to happen is if we stop that infection. In Seattle, um, I've gotten call from doc, calls from doctors who are already making the decision to keep people over 80 years old out of the ICU, people who could live for years longer, um, but they just don't have the ability to save them anymore. Andy, what will listen? There's going to be plenty of time, and it's it's certainly being done, and rightfully so, and in other quarters to talk about the lack of preparedness, why we are so far behind. Um, but I, I I think for the purposes of uh, reaching people, let's let's keep talking about what we can still do, what we have to do. Uh, but let me ask you this, Andy: Are we being our reporting on the NBA? listening to timelines on the NBA, are we giving people false hope about that somehow at the end of mid to the end of June, that somehow we could be playing NBA games, we could be playing professional sports in America? Are we doing a disservice to the seriousness of this by even talking about dates that soon into the future? I think so. I think so. Look, there's going to be a lot of um, political and social pressure to get the NBA stood up as soon as possible. And you know what? A little norm- normalcy will do us all some good. So I don't I, – I, I myself um, would love to see um, that that happen. Um, but I will tell you that um, that's not uh, – if that happens, it won't be because it's in our best health care interest. It won't be because it's in the interest of our families and our country from a, a – health standpoint. It'll happen because it's in the best interest of our country because we're going a little nuts here and uh, our economy stagnating and there's all, and there's an election coming and there'll be all kinds of that sort of pressure. But um, we, uh, and I would say the other thing is if there's probably one other, if we do a much, much better job at socially isolating, um, then we probably, then we may have a shot. But at the current rate of people who are, I think, still a little bit dubious or if even if they're not dubious, they're not quite a hundred percent all the way doing the things they need to do to hashtag stay home and socially isolate. Then I think you've got, uh, then I think you've got a, a real challenge and I, I expect a major debate to be going on. Um, I think Adam Silver would seems to me, I've never met him. He seems to me the kind of person that will want to do the right thing. Um, it'll be, you know, it would be a, obviously a huge hardship, um, for all, for all of us, it's hardship for me every night, not watching the games. Uh, but, um, but I think we, uh, you know, there's a headline in a newspaper. Slavin says you should be closer to panic than calm. And I would just re- say by that, what I mean is if you haven't panicked yet, you haven't figured out what's going on. Now don't live in panic. Um, there are, there's plenty of things we can do. Um, there's plenty of opportunities to, to improve the situation, but if you have not gone to that realization, um, yet, then, uh, I think, 
um, you're probably, it's probably on the way, sadly, because it's going to keep getting much, much worse. Andy, based on the preparedness, how we're acting, how we're behaving, the, as you call it, the armor supplies that our medical professionals need, and the fact that we're going to have many more medical professionals who are going to get sick themselves because they're not being properly protected, and, and that's going to strain those ranks even further. When people try to look at timelines, and I hate even looking at timelines now, but I think it's instructive for people uh, to, to, to be honest about where the country is, and they say, well, if we take the route of China, we're so far, my sense is we're so far behind where China was, how they attacked us. We look a lot more like Italy, and maybe we're even behind Italy. Based on your information, should we expect the United States to look the way it looks in Italy, or, or maybe even worse than what's going on right now, uh, based on the, the, the truth of where we are? So there's a, there are, there's a couple things that instruct this. There's a graph out there that anybody could get their hands on uh, by Googling it, which shows every country and their progression of caseloads. And Italy is out front uh, from a time standpoint, and it shows virtually every other country in the world tracking exactly on Italy's trajectory somewhere between 10 and 14 days behind. Now, in the U.S., because we're such a big country, uh, that will that won't all be ten or won't all be fourteen, uh, but whatever you're seeing on the TV today in Italy, roughly expect that's where we are going to be um, in ten or fourteen days. Northern Italy and Southern Italy are in very different places, so you may be in a city where things aren't quite there yet. But because people are anticipating it, um, that all of the supply chain, all of the things we've talked about, all the protective gear has disappeared. Uh, anyway, in advance of that, because people hoard uh, in the face of a crisis. Um, so I would say that's one one place to look. Um, the second the second thing, and, and I'm pointing to places because uh, I don't hold myself out as an authority. I think people in this day and age ought to find several trusted sources. Um, one of them should be the local health department, uh, and then uh, one of them should be you know. And then I think there are a few other sources of which I think I'm one, but. Uh, but by no means told myself out as the authority. And the truth is nobody really knows the future hasn't happened yet. All we can do is look at the models, but there, I, I'm happy to talk for a second. Uh, Cause you got a very smart audience about this. There's a study that came out of the Imperial college in London. Cool. And I'm happy to talk about that. And if people really want to understand what's going on, that's probably the best thing to get your hands on. And there's plenty of summaries of it too, because it's a 20 page paper. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it was jarring to read, but yeah, yeah, go into it, Andy, because it painted a very grim picture for what's ahead for, for all of us. So let, let's just stipulate that it's a bit like um, telling you what the end of the game is going to be at the end of the first quarter or even in the middle of the first quarter. So, you know, we're losing by 12 uh, and we're already saying this is what's likely to happen at, at the end of the game because we're losing by 12, six minutes into the first quarter. So stipulate, there's a lot of game to play yeah, and a lot yeah. of things happen. We could yeah. have a great bench. We could have someone that gets hot. We could have great coaching. We could change our defense. Yeah. There's a lot of things we could do. And I want that. I think it's really important because these numbers are jarring. I think it's really important for people to understand. What the study did was it took the experience of Italy, South Korea, and China, and it overlaid it on the U.S. population 
And then it modeled four different types of reactions. So four different ways in which we respond to this. How much do we socially isolate, socially isolate? How much do we socially isolate really at risk people like seniors? Um, people over 70 or 80 are, are most at risk. People with uh, who are sicker are most at risk. And what it came up with was a couple things. The first thing it said was, um, we are going to be at this for 18 months in one form or another, uh, at least. In 18 months, why 18 months? Is if we want to talk about the vaccine development process, we can. But it, it's about 18 months for a reliable, safe vaccine that that works. Um, if we with a, Before you get to a vaccine, you would need to achieve herd immunity, which would require a lot of people to get infected. Um, and then, and then slow the, slow the growth down. Um, the other thing it says is that the death toll in the U.S. under any circumstances from low to high will be between 500,000 at the low end and 4 million at the high end. And I'm going to stop and let that sink in and also just remind you what I said earlier, which is this is not, this has not happened yet. And this is not our destiny. This is just the projection based upon the very best we know today. And uh, I'm sure they hope they're wrong. And, uh, but I'd say what's the fundamental insight for me, the aha for me is the difference between 400,000, 500,000 and 4 million is everything to do with how we behave and a a few other things, but there's a lot that we, we control. What's really horrifying is that um, they project between eight and 15% of people over 70 will die from COVID-19. Um, we could see, in a worst case, large swaths of our older and sicker population uh, lost to this. This will undoubtedly be the largest single event uh, of death, of casualties in our country, greater, I'm looking at my son to make sure that I'm not wrong, greater than the uh, than any war, greater than the, uh, the Spanish flu. Uh, he's shaking his head about the Spanish flu. He says, maybe. Um uh, but as a percentage of the country, it was a much smaller country. So I think he, that's where, that's where he's going. But 500,000 to 4 million. Don't fixate on the numbers. Fixate on what it tells you. And the other, I just say one more thing, if I might, if I might, or about the report is it suggests we're either going to have one wave or two waves. And this is a really interesting insight. Uh, and I've talked to a lot of epidemiologists about this. What's potentially likely to happen is we start to do a better job. We start to see the death toll numbers and the case numbers go down. Down around the middle of the summer, things start to look better. And people around look around and look at each other. We got a bat, we got a baseball season to play. We got a basketball to start up. We've got schools we want to start up. And everyone says, well, let's get back to normal. And according to this report, that's in fact the most dangerous time. Because we have none of us, we still maybe have maybe 10% or 15% of the population with immunity. We let down our guard, um, which is very hard to do, uh, very hard to keep your guard up for that long. And as a result, um, we see a second uh, hump in the curve. We see this start to skyrocket again. Um, and so we're really going to be dealing with a, a few different scenarios. But largely, I think, was we're going to be dealing with a debate between how much do we need to get back to normal life versus how much do we want to minimize the death toll? And that's going to be a very important societal question. Uh, last thing, Andy, and I'll, I'll let you go. And I appreciate you doing this uh, today with us. 
where is our leadership going to come from? How important is it that that we have leadership through this, um, these dark months? Because we don't have, well, I'm not going to talk about what we don't have, but but wh- wh- where do we find it? Yeah, yeah. And I do want to say that I'm, I'm, I was told that I would be on the show for my NBA expertise. So I'm really, just, <laughs> uh, um, cause I have a lot, a lot of insights, a lot of opinions, not, not a lot of facts, but, but lots of opinions, um, on the NBA. Um, uh, so, uh, and I, and, and I really do appreciate you for, you for having me on because I think this is, this is an important thing for all of us to try to come to grips with and communicate about. You know, it's a great question about leadership. I will tell you this, we are going to see two things. We're going to see leadership emerge in some amazing places. So, you know, there's a, there's a distillery here in Minnesota that, um, that basically stopped distilling the alcohol and they brewed and they saw an opportunity and they started to, to make hand sanitizer and um, their opportunity to, they had, they're charging for the hand sanitizer is zero. They're giving it away to the community and they're take anybody who give, makes a donation. They're turning around and giving that donation to uh, anybody in the community who's lost their jobs because of coronavirus. Uh, and this is, this is not a big business. This is not a, uh, you know, a, a really financially stable business. This is, these are people who are doing their part and seeing what's happening around them and seeing the fear around them and they're providing, they're creating goodness. That's the kind of leadership we're going to see. We're going to see leaders in, the tech community invent stuff we haven't thought of yet. We're going to see them invent new types of thermometers that can detect COVID. And I'm making this up as an example, but it's something that people are working on. We're going to see people um, who do the impossible, who build um, equipment and machinery in record, record time. Um, and, and that's going to emerge uh, in a crisis. It always does. Uh, we're also going to see, um, you know, the kind of behavior that is that people often exhibit in these situations, which is, fear and selfishness and so forth. And I think we have to try to be as understanding as possible um, because this is a hard thing to come to grips with. Uh, I was on MSNBC last night and with another guest and the other guest got very upset. Uh, and uh, uh, it was, you know, it's the kind of thing that's going to happen. Uh, but, you know, this isn't a sport, right? And so I, I spent a lot of time trying to track that person down to make sure they were okay. And, and I did, and uh, and and it was fine. And you know, normally I might not do that after a TV per- appearance, but in this day and age, we kind of have to look out for each other. Absolutely. Uh, I want to point people before you go, Andy. You you and uh, your group, uh, a group of national health leaders, wrote a piece for USA Today. It's at the it's it's pinned at the top of your Twitter feed, and and. Um, it, it's essentially a, a primer on the best things, the best thing everyday Americans can do to fight the coronavirus. Um, it's at the top of your Twitter feed, which is uh, at a Slavit S L A V I T T uh, on Twitter. You can find it there. Uh, Andy, appreciate the work you're doing, the message you're spreading. Stay safe in, in Minnesota, and uh, we will. Um, you know, maybe we'll. Uh, We'll talk again here, and, and one of these times we'll talk about, you know, maybe the Bulls, Wolves competing for uh, <laughs> uh, the top pick in a draft that uh, <laughs> nobody wants a top pick in. 
but but thank thank you again, Andy, and um, I, uh, I'm glad we connected, and, and we'll talk soon. Thank you so much, Woj.